Welcome to Season 2 of Christianity Without the Baggage, a safe and welcoming space for a fresh, uplifting perspective on the Christian faith. This is your host, Paul Neal. Here we dive deep into its essence, stripping away cultural norms, doctrinal debates, and divisive issues that often weigh us down. We focus on the love, grace, and transformative power that are the heart of Christianity. We explore questions, share experiences, and journey together towards a liberating and inclusive understanding of a God of infinite love that was revealed by Jesus Christ. Remember, your spiritual journey is your own. Let's make it a beautiful one. Inspired by the words of the Christ who told us to lay down our burdens and come to the one who would give us rest. Here on episode 13 of this podcast, we will explore the feminine side of God that despite the predominantly patriarchal focus of our Christian Bible, this reality of the divine rings out just as true. My dad, Thomas Neal Sr. was 42 years old when I was born. My brother, Tom Jr., was born a little over a year earlier. I realized later how significant this was because I became a dad at 22 and a granddad at 42, same age as my dad. Those of you listening who are grandparents yourselves know how precious a state of existence that is. Being a grandparent, I call it one of the greatest joys of our later years. Having arrived quite late in dad's life made him dote on us like children and grandchildren combined. I remember him telling me often, Son, if I only see you and your brother finish school, I'll die happy. Later, he amended that to, If I only live to see you give me grandchildren, I'll die happy. Well, not only did he get to see his grandchildren, Lee and I gave him four, but just before he passed, he got to hold his great-grandson, Frederick Paul, my first grandchild, in his arms. Our family business was a commission fish brokerage, which was run by our stepmother. It was night work from 6 p.m. to sometimes 2 to 3 a.m. Depending on the season, this would be up to seven days a week for months. You were on your feet practically the whole time as the tubs of fish coming from the fishing boats arrived practically nonstop. Our stepmom, Leonore, was exhausted by the time she got home and would sleep through the day. Dad, on the other hand, ran a small law office with what you would call regular hours. So he got to spend a lot of time with us boys. He had two other associates, but that was only in the sense that they shared expenses like rent and secretarial. They pretty much worked their own cases. Since the fish business was doing quite well, Dad really didn't have to hustle like they did. He actually did a lot of pro bono work. If you're a fan of lawyer shows on television like I am, you know that a lot of cases are settled out of court. In the Philippines, however, my dad told me that a big part of those settlements involved making backroom deals with the fiscal, 
That's the Spanish term for prosecutor used in the Philippines and even the judges. And that involved, well, you know what. Bottom line, dad didn't want to get mixed up in that side of lawyering. So he didn't have many paying cases. Like I said earlier, the family business made it possible he didn't have to either. In an earlier episode, I told you the story of my hand being one out of two who raised theirs in a pastor's conference of over a hundred when the question was asked, who among you had a great relationship with their father? That was over 20 years ago, but it still rings true today that for most, it's mom or mama that evokes strong feelings of nurturing, compassion, and empathy. Children feel more loved by their mothers than their fathers, and that feeling carries on for life. Long before tattoos became as commonplace as they are now, there's the image of the proverbial tough guy with heart and mom tattoo. Because of our family situation, however, all those warm feelings about mom were dad to me. The old man projected the so-called masculine qualities of strength, protectiveness, and authority for sure. In fact, at our school, he was often elected president of the Parent Teachers Association and the Parent Scouters Association. In high school, I can't tell you how sometimes I got away with doing crazy things that would have normally gotten me expelled thanks to his being president of the PTA. That was the respect my dad got from the school authorities. But to us kids, he was not just a disciplinarian, but the compassionate and loving nurturer who gave us lavishly of his time. I remember like it was yesterday when I was 10 years old and had a severe attack of hives that covered my whole body. The itching was so intense that the over-the-counter antihistamines and allergy creams of the day gave me little relief. I scratched myself so much, my nails created sores all over my body. Dad grabbed this big bottle of castor oil that was his all-around cure-all, and with his big hands, splashed it all over my agonized little body. That gave me relief for a few minutes until the itching started creeping up again. Knowing that the oil insulated me from further injuring myself, Dad rubbed my legs, my stomach, and my back where the itching was worst. And that gave me constant relief. This he did for hours on end because sleep was fitful all throughout that terrible night. I woke up the next morning and Dad was still there, applying the oil and rubbing away the itch. The neighborhood doctor came for a visit. Yes, those were the days when they did house calls. He came later and prescribed stronger antihistamines and that took care of the awful itchiness. The welts took a few more days to clear up. But I never forgot how dad labored with me the whole night to give me relief. As a side note, when I got another attack of the hives a year later, apparently I had a seafood allergy. Another doctor who made house calls gave me a shot and it all cleared up within a day. So to this day, I have no fear of needles. <laughs> when it's time to take that flu or COVID shot, I actually welcome it. 
As for the seafood allergy, for the next five years, every time we had shrimps for dinner, the doctor who gave me that allergy shot suggested I take a quarter to half a shrimp to build up my resistance. Now, I don't suggest you do the same because everybody's different. But I did, and it worked for me. No more seafood allergy. Thank God, because I do love seafood, especially raw oysters. But going back to Dad, he was literally the face of God for me, exhibiting both strength and tenderness, authority and compassion, protectiveness and empathy. To me, he was both father and mother. So while many might find the concept of a loving father as a difficult portrayal of God because of how they were treated by their own fathers, I was blessed by circumstances to fully accept it. But I completely and fully understand why for so many Christians around the world the desire, yes, even the need for a feminine mediator like Mary, the mother of Jesus, is so popular. Which brings us to why I titled this episode, The Feminine Side of God. In Genesis 1.27 it says, Then God created humanity in the divine image, male and female, God created them. If humanity, the divine image, is masculine and feminine, then so is God. Of the 66 books of the Protestant Bible, or 73 books of the Catholic Bible, all were written by men, with the possible exception of the Old Testament book of Esther, which some attribute to have been co-authored by Esther and Mordecai, and or the New Testament book of Hebrews, which may have been written by Priscilla. But no one knows for sure. The canon of Scripture was certainly voted on and put together by men. So it's not surprising that the Bible has a very patriarchal bent. Some feminists who have gone through a period of deconstruction of their Christian faith have actually abandoned it altogether, saying that they cannot continue to profess to a faith that marginalizes women and does not allow them to serve in a pastoral capacity. As certain evangelical denominations continue to do so, and as the Catholic Church still does. And on the surface, the Bible seems to read that way. And you can quote scripture and verse to prove that point. But if you look at the Bible containing the wisdom of God and not simply a rule book or constitution to support theological positions, you will see that despite the overemphasis of male authors to portray God as a divine patriarch, the matriarchal or feminine side of God is all over the Bible as well. The Spirit of God, the Ruach, will have her way. Ruach is a feminine word, by the way. The wisdom of God, the Sophia, will have her way. Sophia is a feminine word, by the way. The glory of God, the Shekinah, will have her way. Shekinah is a feminine word also. You can refer to God with the pronoun he or him, but you can equally refer to God with the pronoun she or her. And yes, be totally and completely scriptural. Some might argue, okay, Paul, I'll go along with you that the Holy Spirit can be what you call the feminine side. But the Father is certainly male, and there's no argument Jesus came as a man. First of all, I want to be perfectly clear that I am not referring to gender per se, but the attributes of the masculine and the feminine. 
eternal God transcends mere gender, and so does the pre-incarnate Logos of God who came to us as Jesus. Yet this man, who we as Christians confess as Savior and Lord, showed us what it truly means to be a human made in the image of God. Did you know that his preferred reference to himself, that is translated Son of Man, actually literally means the human one? In those days, the world was a realm governed by men, an empire constructed on power, dominance, and authority. The masculine traits were cherished, while the feminine traits were marginalized. Yet amidst this patriarchal framework, Jesus emerged a figure profoundly countercultural and revolutionary. He possessed qualities that society deemed feminine, empathy, compassion, and servitude. But in Jesus, these were not seen as weaknesses, but as the embodiment of divine love and humanity. His inclusion of women, often pushed to the sidelines of history, were not merely a tokenistic gesture. Instead, it was a statement, a radical stance that directly challenged the prevailing norms. He revered Mary Magdalene as a disciple, defying the societal conventions that held women as inferior. He stood by the Samaritan woman at the well, breaking the centuries-old divisions of ethnicity and gender. Through each of his interactions, he underscored a profound truth that every soul, regardless of gender, has inherent worth and dignity. Jesus was not a man closed off from his emotions. He wept openly when his friend Lazarus died, displaying a vulnerability that was truly transformative. In the realm of empathy, Jesus was a master, for he deeply felt the sufferings of the world and worked tirelessly to alleviate them. Furthermore, Jesus embraced the role of a servant, washing the feet of his disciples in an act that still echoes in the halls of history. The master became the servant. The one with authority became the one who served. A reversion of roles that shook the very foundations of the prevailing patriarchal norms. While it is true that Jesus also possessed qualities associated with patriarchal roles, such as leadership and decisiveness, these were expressed not through dominance, but through love and service. His teachings challenged and redefined the patriarchal norms of his time, emphasizing a new code of conduct built upon compassion, love, and servitude. The story of Jesus it's not merely a tale of a man who was divine. It is a story of a man who, despite living in a rigid patriarchal society, dared to embrace and exhibit the matriarchal and feminine traits society often dismissed. In this sense, the matriarchal feminine aspects of his character could indeed be considered more dominant. Painting a portrait of a man who was as revolutionary as he was compassionate, as radical as he was kind. However, one could argue that Jesus' matriarchal feminine traits were more distinctive because they were so countercultural to the patriarchal society in which he lived. His radical inclusion of women, his ability to express empathy and emotions, and his willingness to serve others were unique and transformative. It is the testament of a man who understood that real strength 
doesn't lie in dominance and power, but in compassion, empathy, and servanthood. You know, if you read the Bible with a pure heart, what you will see is the wisdom of God. As David said in Psalm 51 verse 10, Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Or as Jesus said in the Sermon of the Mount, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I do not believe that David or Jesus was referring to being perfect. You and I know that's impossible. It is coming to God with a heart that is honest and seeking. If one is seeking justification for one's prejudice, as in the slave owners in times past, or churches today that continue to marginalize women, people of different races or sexual orientation, that person will definitely find scripture and verse to justify their evil desires. May we always have a pure heart in seeking God. Once again, welcome to Season 2, and I'll catch you again in Episode 14.